Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25. And by God's grace, we should be finishing this chapter this morning. Um, there's not too many verses, so I will read through it first, and then um, we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. Starting in verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels, holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he'll set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the truths that are in it, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you are not a man and you cannot lie, Lord. And we thank you that you've given us your word for our edification, our growth, our exhortation, Lord. And we thank you that it is spirit in his life, Lord. So, Father, work in our lives this morning, Lord. Father, may we get information and inspiration, Lord. Lord, may our hearts be transformed this morning, Lord. But it's got to come through your spirit, Lord. So we do praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, really there's only one title this morning. Usually I come up with some good ones, but it's judgment. <laughs> You're probably like, oh boy, worship like that and then judgment. Uh, but it's biblical and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus has finished answering the disciples' questions that were asked in Matthew chapter 24. And we saw last week and the following couple of weeks that after Jesus answered their questions about the end of the age and the sign of his coming, he also gave them some application and some warnings of what they should be doing while they're waiting. And if you remember, they didn't ask for that, but as a good teacher, he gave application to his sermon. Now, earlier in this discourse, Jesus gave some details about his second coming, if we remember. He said, the sun will be darkened, the moon will lose its light. The stars of heaven will be shaken. In other words, in outer space, there's going to be some pretty heavy things taking place. But here, Jesus is specifically fo focusing on the subject of judgment that will take place by him in the end. See, one of the things we're going to, going to clearly see from this text this morning is that Jesus himself is the one doing the judgment. Jesus. See, not many people in the world or in the church want to see Jesus as a judge. 
But biblically speaking, he is not only a judge, but he is the judge. He's the judge, folks. In other words, Jesus will determine the fate or destiny of every human being that has ever lived on the face of the earth. He will decide. No one else. Every human being has an appointment with Jesus to appear before him, and it is an appointment that they will most definitely keep. They will all stand before him. John 5.22, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. All judgment to the Son. The Bible tells us in many other places, all authority and power has been given to him. He's the one that will judge. Now, if there's one subject that people definitely don't want to talk about, it's what? Judgment. Judgment. <laughs> right? In fact, one of the biggest catchphrases in America today is, do not judge. Ray, can you close that door, please? We don't want to hear our little ones yelling with joy for Jesus, right? <laughs> but everybody in America says, do not judge. And unfortunately, this idea has crept into the church. Do not judge. But that's an unbiblical thought. And the reason people don't want to talk about judgment is because most people know they're guilty. God has given us a conscience as humans, and we know very well when we violate that conscience. You know it. I know it. I knew when I was in the world when I was doing things wrong. Nobody had to tell me. I wasn't a theologian. I wasn't going to church. I never read the Bible. Uh, nobody in my family was a Christian, yet I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew it. Though I suppressed it, I didn't want to admit that I was doing it. If anybody asked me if I was doing so, I'd come up with an excuse, you know. Well, you know, just, you know, what you did is wrong. What I did is just, you know, I had to do it <laughs> kind of thing. So guilty people obviously don't want to speak about judgment, do they? Because they know that they're guilty. Even people today in the media or in the church will accuse Christians as always wanting to judge and speak about judgment. You ever had people say that to you? <laughs> you know? And even in the world, they, it's unfortunate. And again, if you do watch TV or the media, they always try and find the Christians that are out there and, and depict them as always being judgmental or whatever. And they shouldn't do that because there's a great spectrum of Christianity that is doing what the Lord has asked them to do. See, but what people need to understand is that judgment started with God. It didn't start with man. It goes all the way back to the garden. God told Adam and Eve... Adam particularly, that if you eat of the fruit of the garden, the tree of the knowledge and evil, you will die. So judgment started with God. But see, the problem is because man has not been faithful to pass the word of God down to the next generation, people see us as what? Being judgmental. See, if we had a biblical worldview in America, I mean, we call ourselves a Christian nation, we're really not. I mean, we were founded on it, but we're nowhere near a Christian nation right now. Because there's no biblical worldview, and even in the church, unfortunately. But if we had passed the torch down from Adam and kept it going, everybody would know that God judges. That God is going to judge. And we'll get more into that in a minute. So as Christians, we need to speak about judgment, but we must use it in its proper context. In its proper context. And then we're going to look at that this morning a little bit. But one thing we're going to see from this context as well is that not all judgment is bad news, but good news, right? Not all judgment is bad news, but good news. God is going to look at some of the people in this text 
He's going to judge their lives, and he's going to see them as being faithful and caring people. Amen? That's what he's going to do. In fact, Jesus is going to tell them that when you were ministering, you were actually ministering to me. In other words, if we are truly honoring God, then judgment is good for us. Right? What are you worried about? It'll work out for your benefit. Again, like I shared earlier, when we talk about people in the world, we talk to people in the world about God and sin, they usually say, do not judge me, right? And maybe you've had that. I've had it, you know. However, let's paint a scenario for a second. Picture this person at work, and the boss comes up to him and said, you know, I've been watching you and all the other workers. And from my observation, it seems like you're working far better than anyone else. So starting today, I'm going to give you a 30% raise. Now, is that person going to say, do not judge me? <laughs> no, they're not going to say that. They're going to say, thank you very much. I appreciate that. See, judgment was good for that person because they benefited from it, right? <laughs> they benefited from it. And Paul the Apostle spoke about how God judged him faithful. He looked at Paul and he said, Paul said that, God looked at my life and he said that I was faithful, so he put me into the ministry because he was faithful. And Paul was happy about that. See, God has created us as free moral beings with the ability to choose between right and wrong. And because he is just, he must judge in order to keep evil at bay and equity in the universe. He must judge. He is a judge. Now, that may seem like bad news to some, but in reality, it's great news. It's great news because not everyone has judgment and it has to be bad for everyone. It doesn't have to be, really, for anyone. Because God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. So nobody in this room has to be guilty before God. We can all be scot-free, innocent of anything that we have ever done. Amen? See, up to the age 28, I was guilty before God. I was busted. If I would have died, I would have been in hell for all eternity, and I would have known that I did. And I knew what I was doing was wrong. But now, after age 28, I had been saved from my sin. Because I came to realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and He's taken away all of my sin. He's taken it away. And that's the good news. That's the great news, in fact. See, Jesus' death on the cross paid our sin to in full. And once we receive him as our Savior, all our sins are taken away. Amen? Amen? See, God now sees me as innocent, not guilty. God not only forgives us of our sins, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We're forgiven and we're cleansed. See, God not only takes away our sins, but once we receive Jesus, he gives us a new life. We're born again. We're new creatures. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. See, God is able to cleanse our lives from the sins that we have done to ourselves. But he's also able to cleanse us from the sins that others have done to us. See, God forgives us and he cleanses us. And that's the great news of the cross. That he does that work. So again, we're going to look at judgment. Not fully. We have to cover the text. But even though God is going to judge, the Bible is very clear that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
God's desire is that all would be saved. He's a saving God, a redeeming God, a restoring God, a reconciling God, a redeeming God. That's what he longs to do. But he will judge those who will not receive his forgiveness through his son. Amen? Now, let's look at our text this morning. Where are we? Oh. Starting in verse 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right, sheep on his right hand, but the goats on His left. Now, before we get started, folks, I do need to uh, just kind of open up the text a little bit to you. Within Christianity, all your Bible students, you need to understand that with this text right here, there's a lot of differing views within the church of how people view this final segment here. Some of the people after Luther, the early reformers, mostly saw this as this just being a picture of the final judgment that will take place in the end. Um, other people, dispensationalists, will see that this is just a picture of what's going to take place after the end of the age, before the millennial reign. Okay, And because some people see a difference between this judgment and the judgment between the great white throne judgment. So some people see this as the final judgment, while other people see this as a judgment before the millennial. Now you're probably wondering, okay, Pastor Bob, where do you sit on this? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, again, I looked at all the views, and it's really trying to hard to come away with a definite view of what this is exactly speaking about, technically. Because everybody has good points and bad points, just like anything as you study it. But the point of this passage is, Jesus said what? He's going to judge. That's what we need to understand. He's going to judge. Whether he's going to do it at this picture, he's going to do it right before the millennium, or, or this is the final judgment, the reality is here in this text that Jesus is going to judge. He's going to judge. And there are judgments also for the believers. We're not going to look at it this morning. But the Bible talks about the beam of seat of Christ, where as Christians, we are going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have an answer for what we've done But after we have been a Christian. Either our works are going to be wood, stay of wood hay, or stubble, they're going to be burnt up, or we're going to have gold, as it were, refined in a fire that's going to stand for the Lord. But anyway, just to let you guys know that, that you know, there's differing views on this, and you can study it. That's where you go home. You study, and you come away with how you really think it is. But the point, the reality of it is, the truth of it is, God is going to judge. Amen? So let's dig into our text. Jesus is once again here emphasizing his return and the end of the age. And this time we see that Jesus is coming back with the glory of his angels. He's coming back in the glory of his angels. Again, in Matthew chapter 24, if we were to look at this in whole context, Jesus spoke about his return in Matthew chapter 24, but listen, he only focused on the elect. If you go back to 24, he says, and gather the elect from the four winds of the earth. But here he's focusing on the fact that when he returns, he's going to sit upon his throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he's going to judge the people and set the good ones on his right and the wicked ones on his left. That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back again. He's going to judge the people. The good ones, the sheep, will be on the right, and the goats will be on the left. But the first thing I want us to focus on, folks, as we look at this this morning, what do we see Jesus coming in as we sung about this morning? Amen? The Lord put some of the songs on uh, Josh's heart that really fit in with the text. Jesus is coming in his glory. 
Amen? His glory. Jesus speaks of himself in glory. When Jesus comes back again, he's going to be surrounded with glory, folks. Amen? His throne is what? Sitting on the throne of his glory. Again, when the first time Jesus came as a baby, which are going to celebrate him for Christmas, his glory was veiled. It was veiled in human flesh. And again, if you want a good theological song, Hark There Are Angels Sing. Good theology. John Wesley understood it perfectly. Rather, Charles Wesley understood it perfectly. So this time he's coming in his glory. And everyone's going to see him. See him in his glory. And what is he going to do? When he comes in his glory this time, it's to judge. When his glory was veiled, it was to save. But this time it is to judge. Again, Jesus came the first time to seek, to save, to serve, to heal, to help, to testify the truth, to conquer sin and death. That's the first thing he did when he came. Born as a baby in a manger. He came to seek and save that which was lost. You and I. We needed a savior. And Jesus came to save us from our sin. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day, showing he conquered sin and death. The death, the burial, and the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this time now, he comes back as a judge. He's coming back in all of his glory and he is going to judge the nations. And he's judging these people after they have lived their lives. It's all over now. It's all over. In other words, these people don't have any more time left to do anything. They've used their life for either good or bad. And Jesus has to determine whether they are sheep or goats. That's it. When we live this one life, it's over. After this life is over, you'll be, you're going to be judged whether you're a sheep or you're a goat. How did you live your life, for good or evil? You don't have another chance. It's over. One shot. That's it. So as we look at this this morning, the obvious question we need to ask ourselves is, do we think we are a sheep or a goat? Do we think we're a sheep or a goat? We've all come here this morning as one or the other. Every one of you showed up this morning either as a sheep or a goat. Now, I know she didn't bring any hay with you, obviously. Uh, but that's the reality of it is. And which are we? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? If we're not sure if we're a sheep or a goat, our text is going to help us to see whether we're a sheep or a goat. Right? Amen? Amen. See, that's what the Bible's for, folks. See, as we look at the Bible and study our lives, it's going to help us to see where we really are with the Lord. Not my opinion. You may think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You may think you're the greatest Christian that has ever existed. It may be in your mind, but you may think it. But when we go to the Bible, it helps us see where we really are. And it's good of that. Amen? You don't want to be deceived. You don't want to be deceived in thinking you're something that you're not. Again, so when we go to the Word of God like Jesus is going to do here, we can see where we really are. And don't you want to know? It'd be tragic to live your whole life and find out, oh, I, was in a, I was a goat, I didn't know it. And again, I remember when I first got saved. Again, I wasn't raised Catholic or Protestant or Evangelical, I wasn't raised anything. 
And I remember the first time I read the Bible, going through the, the Gospel of Matthew, reading the Beatitudes, and I was like, why didn't anybody tell me about this? Why didn't anybody tell me about what the Bible said? Maybe I wouldn't have done the things I've done. But nobody told me. The Catholic Church in our neighborhood, which I went to, they didn't teach the Word of God. They just didn't do it. And they're nice people. I'm not trying to bash them, but they didn't do it. I didn't know. You know? So the Bible's there to be our guide. The Bible helps us see whether we're on the right path or the wrong path. And hopefully this morning you'll look at this and say, hey, praise God, man. I heard Pastor Bob today and I'm on the right path. Or maybe you'll hear and say, you know what? I really gotta, I gotta examine my life. Am I really going the way I should be going? Am I making the best decisions I should be making? And that's what the Bible's for, folks. Amen? Now the first group of people deals with here is the sheep. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The sheep. Jesus has judged these people, and he's judged them, and he's determined they have lived their lives the right way. They were faithful people. They were the ones that did the good things, and they were found to be faithful. And because they are faithful, he's rewarding them. He's saying, come into the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. See, Jesus is telling us here that God has always had something in store for those who are faithful to do the things he's asked us to do. Amen? He's always had it. He's never, he didn't just think about it all of a sudden. Before the foundation of the world, he had an inheritance prepared for those that will do the right thing. He was. See, before the foundation of the world, God had an inheritance waiting for those that were faithful. It's waiting for us. And that's important. Because how many times have we done good things and wonder if it's worth it or not? You ever been there? I have. <laughs> See, sometimes we do good things, and as a result, we're made fun of, or taken advantage of, or we think no one notices, or even appreciates it, right? See, I can tell you honestly that I've been kicked in the face for doing good things for people. I've had my character attacked, my integrity attacked, as a result of doing what God has asked me to do. And it wasn't by the world, folks. And at times it seems like it's not even worth it. It's like the people are going to be like this, just forget about it. Forget it. It's not worth it to serve them. But praise God for the Bible, because the Bible says we don't serve man, we serve who? Christ. Amen? Amen. We serve Christ. That's who I ultimately serve. An encouragement for us to, is that Jesus doesn't want us to lose hope. Because before the foundation of the world, he had a kingdom prepared for those that are faithful to him. So don't lose hope. Don't grow weary in doing good. Preaching this on myself too, you know. <laughs> don't grow weary in doing good. It's worth it. God knows. He doesn't want us to be discouraged. Now look at verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? 
When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked or clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Jesus is now telling us some of the things that the sheep have done which caused them to receive the inheritance from the Father. And this is not a full-blown list. It's just an idea of what they were doing. And again, if we look at this list here, this is somewhat pretty basic things, isn't it? Right? These are just the, the, the basic things that anyone can do. Anybody could do this. Anybody could close someone or feed someone or visit somebody when they're sick. Anybody could do these things. These are the basic things. All of us can do it today. You don't need a theology degree. You don't need to speak well. <laughs> you can do it. See, too often we look at Christianity, and we're like the parable we looked at last week, we think we need the five talents, right? I can only serve Jesus if I have five talents. I need the five. But Jesus commending these people, and it seems like the things that these people did, they only need one talent to do it, right? That's all. But what do you really need to go and close somebody? You just need some clothes. <laughs> and we got them. And it's probably safe and accurate to say that most of the work done for the kingdom and by, for the Lord is by those who have received one talent. Most of it's probably done by those who have one talent. See, most of us in this room may not have the ability to go to seminary. You may not. Or Bible college. Or maybe you don't have the ability, you're not available to go to be a missionary around the world. You can't do it. You got to stay in Staten Island. As dreadful as that sounds, <laughs> you got to stay. Or maybe you don't believe you're called to be a pastor or an elder or an evangelist. So what do you do? What do you do? See, all of us in this room have the ability to do these things Jesus is talking about here. All of us do. We can. Each and every one of us. And today. When Paul was speaking to the Corinthians who were really... Not too high on Paul, even though he started the church, pastored it for a year and a half, and then they, you know, they didn't really want anything to do with him anymore. But Paul said that God calls not many wise, not many noble, and not many noble. And at the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul said, God said rather through Paul, He God says, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. So you want to be a great servant of the Lord? Be weak. <laughs> His grace is sufficient. Just be weak. Just be available. That's all. Just be available. Lord, what do you want me to do? You give me at least one talent. I know that. It's biblical. I have at least one. I'm available. What do you want me to do? And go and do it. And again, maybe some of us here this morning may be questioning what God can do through us even though we have one talent. Right? Well, maybe some of you in this room have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. Anybody? Right? Here's a woman who has been serving the Lord for many years, has traveled the entire world, written books, spoke at conferences, and yet she does all that by we what? By paralyzed in a wheelchair. At a young age, she had a diving accident and she's paralyzed. But yet, this paralyzed woman who cannot dress herself is ministering to thousands of people around this globe. How many towns do we need? One. That's it. Go and do what the Lord has asked us to do. 
Again, these are the scriptures that Mother Teresa pointed to the focus of her ministry. She would always say, as you did to the least of these, you have done it to me, speaking of Jesus. But how did Mother Teresa start her ministry? She heard a call from God. And she headed out to the streets of uh, Calcutta with five rubies, which I'll say is five bucks. I forget exactly what it is, but not much money. And a Christian actually gave her room in his house to let her use. And she started this ministry of five rubles, I think it is, a room with no furniture. That's how she started. That's it. Now, through the eyes of the world, she had nothing, right? You're starting a ministry with what? You don't do it that way. But yes, she was rich because God had called her to do it. But she took it literally what Jesus, what Jesus says here in verse 40. But surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. She took that literally. She literally believed she was ministering to Jesus on the streets of Calcutta. And whenever she looked at the people, the poor, the homeless, the just the abandoned, she would say this. She said they were Jesus in the most distressing disguise. Jesus in the most distressing disguise. Just the basics. And Jesus is rewarding them as such. Again, many people in the body of Christ desire the gift of healing, right? I'm one of them. I wish I could walk right out and I'll just touch you guys and heal you. I want that ministry. And healing is a legitimate gift, but not everyone receives it. But notice what Jesus said here. He said, I was sick and you visited me. Not I was sick and you healed me. I was sick and you visited me. Is that a great work? Jesus thinks so. See, Jesus is rewarding these people that just went out and met the basic necessities of life. The basics. Again, the Pregnancy Care Center, which we sponsor and help and look to minister to this ministry. Most of their work now, they kind of change their dynamic a little bit. They're still saving babies. That's their main focus. But the way in which they minister now has come through just meeting the needs of people. People call them. Do you have formula? Do you have diapers? Do you have this? Do you have that? And the other thing, yeah, come down. We'll give you whatever we have. And through that, they have opportunities to share the gospel. This ministry now is being used so well here in Staten Island, you're going to need to pray for them, that people are actually coming from the Bronx to get food and the basic necessities of life because they can't seem to find a ministry they're doing it. And we just need to need the basic necessities of life, folks. Again, in verse 37, Jesus said, I surely say that you were doing it to me. I rather, I, I'm, I went too far ahead of myself. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? These people are saying that they didn't even realize what they were doing. They didn't know it. Ray Stedman, one pastor, called this the unconscious test. They did unconscious test. In other words, they were just doing what came natural to them. It was just natural. And these people were living their lives day by day. They would just feed this person, close that person, visit this person, just day by day. It just came natural to them. They didn't even realize they were doing it when Jesus called them on the carpet and says, you did all these things. And they're like, what do we do, Lord? It just came natural to them. They didn't even know it. I had something happen to me relating to what Jesus is speaking about here. 
But it's kind of hard to put into words, but maybe you'll get it if I do my best. One morning I was sitting in service and Pastor Lord was teaching a message. I don't know where he was teaching. I think the book of James, but I could be wrong. And he was teaching about things that people would be doing when they were in the will of God. That's what he was speaking about. And as he was naming some of these things, it started to dawn on me. I'm listening, saying, wait a minute. I said, I'm doing those things. I'm doing the things he's mentioning here. And at that moment, I had a rush of emotions come over me, and I got scared because I realized I was, a, I was in the will of God, and I didn't even know it. I didn't know. I was just serving Jesus, man. And then he says, when you're doing these things, you're in the center of the will of God. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm going to know your will. I didn't even know, Lord. I was just following you and loving you and helping people. I was in other words, I was unconscious that I was doing. It just came natural to me. So I mentioned last week that God says in the Bible, he wants to lead us with the wink of his eye. Are you that close? Are you that close that he could just wink, the Spirit just speak, and you're on it? You don't even know it. You're just helping this person. You just miss at that person. Like, why did I do that? I don't know. I just I did it. See, I, I remember just one thing I didn't do. And I, I remember a lot of things I've done, but I remember one thing I didn't do, and I still regret to this day. One time I went with my sister to Manhattan, and I give everything away. If I see people, I just give it away. Nobody's going to tell me to do it. I don't think. I just give it away. And one time I went with my sister to go see a concert, and uh, there was this guy laying in the parking lot with no coat on. And I had my giant's jacket, and because I'm so introverted, I didn't want my sister to think what I was doing or whatever, so I'm like, ah, he'll be fine. And to this day, it bothers me. I should just gave it to her, and just, I, but I didn't want the attention. And to this day, I think about it. I'm like, Lord, I should just give my coat. But I didn't. A knucklehead, you know? But it just comes naturally to us. See, when we're drawing close to the Lord in prayer and reading his word, He'll simply direct your life. The Spirit will just be showing you where you should go and what you should be doing. It'll just be natural to you. It's just natural. See, serving Jesus is simply an overflow of a relationship with Him. That's all. It's just an overflow. You're just overflowed with Jesus. You just want to help that person. You want to minister to that person. It's just an overflow. David said in Psalm 23, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Is your cup running over? Is it running over? You just want to bless people. You just want to minister to people. You only pastor, you know, the elders calling you. Did you do this this week? You're just doing it, man. Nobody notices, but Jesus notices. He's paying attention. Because verse 40, what does Jesus say? See, these people are out there serving, doing the work. They didn't know what they were doing. And Jesus lets them know here that what they did went beyond what they could even imagine. See, they were just feeding the hungry, but Jesus is saying, you didn't just feed the hungry folks. You were feeding me. Because in as much as you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And that's powerful. What greater reward can there be for a Christian than knowing that every time you minister, you're actually ministering to Jesus? That could be a thousand sermons in and of itself. Amen? See, we took this literally, what Jesus said here. How different we would look at the world, right? 
how different we would see those around this world who are in trouble or down and out. Do you look at the people who are walking around wandering aimlessly like, oh, what a bunch of idiots. Or do you look and say, Lord, we would see the world differently. We would. I still pray for people I saw walking down Arthur Kill Road. I'm like, look at this. Lord, what's going on in our lives? What are they doing? Just walking at this guy and this girl. For one, what is she doing with a guy like that? You know, but it breaks your heart. We'd be different if we saw the world like Jesus says here. And how different would we spend our time, energy, and money if we literally believed this was true? If we literally believed this? Lord, when we minister, we're doing it as unto you. I tell you right now, the world would be a different place and the church would be a different place if we literally believed it. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the church. Us. Us. It's got to hit home, folks. It's got to hit home with each and every one of us, me included. We want to see it thing that way. And my friend who just lost his wife to cancer, and a number of years ago, many years ago, he was working for the postal office, postal service, and yet he believed that the Lord was calling him into full-time ministry to preach the gospel. So with the consent of his wife, he quit the post office, leaving behind his benefits package, and he had a sick wife at the time. But he just trusted the Lord. He said, Lord, you're calling me to do this. I'm going to do it. And as long as I've ever known this man, he's never lived by himself, but he's always lived with someone else or a family member. In other words, he's put himself out to minister to the Lord. Just living with in-laws or kids or wherever, just living wherever he could find a place just because he wanted to serve Jesus. In other words, he sacrificed comfort and security in order to minister to Jesus. That's all. That's all he wanted to do. I think of K.P. Yohannan, the Gospel for Asia. He tells a story all the time that him and his brothers, they'd send his mother money, money, you know, I mean, not, you know what I mean, to, to survive, to live on. And they'd come home and she's wearing this ratty old flannel shirt and all this stuff. And they'd be like, Mom, we send you all this money. What are you living like that for? Buy some clothes. Then they found out later that all the money they sent her, she was sending out to missionaries. And she chose to live that way. Powerful. Please understand this morning, folks. This is not a work of the flesh, but a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. It must be the Spirit doing it. See, if we try to do the things that Jesus is mentioning here in the flesh, you're going to fail and be miserable. You're going to fail and be miserable. We need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to breathe these things into our lives. Lord, I want to be this way. Breathe into me. Breathe into me your conviction, your power. I want to do it, Lord. I want to do it. It's got to be birthed in the Holy Spirit. It's got to be. He's the one who changes your life. Amen? Now, verse 41 through 44. That was a good part. Now we're in a difficult part. <laughs> verse 41 through 44. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you curse into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or strange or naked or in prison, and we did not minister to you? Stop there. 
Jesus is now addressing the goats that are on his left. Jesus has judged these people, and he has determined that they live their lives in the wrong way. They've lived their lives the wrong way. What we also need to notice, is maybe you didn't pick up on this, that Jesus is condemning these people because of their sin of omission. You did not do. You did not do. See, the sins of omission are things we should have done, but we didn't. The, sins, the things we should have done, but we didn't. Again, the guy with the one talent was condemned because what? He didn't do anything with the talent. He was condemned again because of the sin of omission. He was given one talent. He did not do anything with it. See, Jesus is telling here that many people in the world are not only going to be condemned because of what they did, but because of what they didn't do. And the reality is very few people in this world even think about the fact that they're going to be condemned because of what they did not do. They would. See, before I was a Christian, I often thought about, I shared earlier about the bad things I did. I thought about it often. But it wasn't too often I thought about things I should have done that I didn't. I didn't think about those things. If I did, very rarely. But Jesus didn't condemn these people because of it. See, the first group of people was ignorant to the fact that they were doing good. This group was ignorant to the fact that they weren't doing good. They didn't realize it. 1 John 3.17 says, But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? The answer is, it doesn't. If you're not ministering to the people in need, you don't have the love of God in you. That's what Jesus is saying. See, these people didn't have the love of God abiding them, so they didn't even see the needs around them. They didn't even see it. Let's nonetheless do anything. James, in his writing, says essentially the same thing. James says, faith without works is dead. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but you do not give them the things which are need for the body, what does it profit you? What does it profit you? How many times have you said, be warm and filled, <laughs> you know? <sighs> See, these are people, these goats, that were cold and indifferent to the other people. They were just indifferent. These people went through life keep, and just kept thinking, they were blind to what was going on around them. They didn't even see it. They didn't see it. They were blind. They were cold. See, many people in the world will say, well, I haven't hurt anybody, right? Have you ever heard that when you witness to people? Well, I haven't hurt anybody. Well, that may be true, but have you helped anybody? Have you helped anybody? You're living large, but have you helped anybody? You got your crib. <laughs> I don't know anything about the young folks, but why not? You got your crib, but are you giving anything to anybody? You know? He's calling the carpet. And again, these people are not being condemned because of some great act of kindness they didn't do, right? It's not that Jesus is saying, you're being condemned because you didn't go into that tower and save somebody. He says, no, you're being condemned because you didn't give anybody water. You didn't feed them. Just the simple things. That's why you're going to hell, because of that. See, I think this shows us how serious God takes the little things that should be done in life. This shows us how God takes serious the little things that should be done in life. Again, we think it's no big deal if we don't help anybody, right? It's no big deal. Somebody else will do it. But to God, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. 
People matter to God, especially those in need. He cares. See, I also believe this gives us a picture of how high God's standard is. Have you thought about that? This shows us how high God's standard is. See, when I think about these things, and I do, as you all should, you should be thinking about these things. When you go home, you should be meditating on these things. Think about them. And when I think about the world and what people are doing and not doing, and what I know from the Bible, I always come to the conclusion that the world is actually going to be far more guilty than they could ever even imagine. Understand? When I look at the best of people in the world, as I look at the Bible and I meditate in the nature of God and all these things, I say, the people in the world who are the best are going to be so guilty they don't even realize it. And this text tells us that God's standard is far above ours. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Too often we measure the world by our standard instead of God's standard. See, God's standard is far more above it. Jesus is telling us here that people are to be seriously guilty before God because of the everyday opportunities they ignored. That's powerful, folks. And of course, you're thinking, I got really got to think about this stuff. It's serious. Now, for us, while we're looking at this, we need to ask ourselves when is the last time we really helped someone? When is the last time any of us in this room have really helped someone? When? We need to think about it. Hopefully it isn't so long ago that you can't remember it. Because if that's the case, then there's a good chance you may be a goat. If you can't even remember the last time you really helped somebody out, then you may be a goat. And just like the sheep were judged and recorded, rewarded accordingly, the goats will be judged and condemned accordingly. They will be condemned. See, Jesus also makes it abundantly clear that claiming ignorance is not going to help anyone in the day of judgment. Lord, when did we see you? We didn't see anything. What? Where? Me? I, I wasn't even there. Jesus saying ignorance is not going to do it. It's not going to do it. Now wrapping up. One minute left. These timers. Verse 45. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still... Wait, what, what am I doing here? Wrong chapter. Chapter 25, verse 45. Then he'll answer them, saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus is letting us know here that because they did not help those in need, he judged them and sending them away into everlasting punishment, a.k.a. hell or the lake of fire. That's where they're going. And if we notice back earlier in our text, Jesus actually tells us that hell was prepared for the devil and his demons. And in Revelation chapter 20, we see in the book of Revelation, it says that the devil, the beast, and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And it also says, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone that has ever lived and been judged and found guilty by Jesus will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. 
Second Timothy verse, chapter four, verse one says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing at his kingdom. And we look here, it says that they'll be cast into everlasting punishment and eternal life. That's the same Greek word here. And this word in the Greek comes the closest to the Greek that can put the idea in one word of everlasting. It's the same word used. In other words, if there's one eternal, there must be both eternal. Eternal heaven and eternal punishment. So Jesus is telling us very clearly here that some people will be judged and cast into everlasting punishment. And it's a scary thought. It scares me. That's one of the reasons why I do what I do. See, I care about people. I don't want them to go to this place at all. That's one of my motivations. I'm here to glorify God and live for Him. But one of my motivations is I love my friends. I love my family. I love those crazy people out there. And I don't want them to go to hell. That's why I try to witness and pray and share and give and love and do kind acts. I don't want them to go there because they are going. It is a real place. What people are ignorant of is that no one in Scripture speaks more of judgment and hell than Jesus. He spoke far more about hell than he did heaven. Jesus spoke of sins that could not be forgiven. He spoke of the danger of losing one soul forever, of spending eternity in torment of hell, existing forever in outer darkness where there will be perpetual weeping and gnashing of teeth. No pictures of judgment are more intense and sobering than Jesus portrayed. Nobody. Nobody. Now Jesus is not speaking about hell here because he wants to be popular, but he wants to be biblical. He wants to be biblical. See, what people need to understand is that once life is over, it's over. The Bible says, it has been pointed to man to die once, after that the judgment. First Peter chapter 4, verse 5 says, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. From cover to cover, the Bible speaks about judgment. And if we had a biblical worldview, it wouldn't be a big problem because people would know that God judges. They would know it. It started with, with Adam. Adam was kicked out of the garden. He was judged. Cain was judged. The flood of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah. They were judged. See, God is a just and holy God, and evil must be punished. We know that. Everybody knows it. If evil were not punished, God would not be just, good, or holy. Like I shared last week. People think the goodness of God is going to save them. It's the goodness of God that's going to condemn them. But people don't think about it. People may even ask, well, why is hell even necessary? I'm not going to give you all the answers. There's many. But let me just give you a couple. Why is hell necessary? First, hell magnifies the justice of God. Hell magnifies the justice of God. Heaven magnifies the mercy of God. Hell magnifies the justice of God. Secondly, hell has the enduring value of demonstrating that evil is forever defeated. Amen. Amen? Hell has the enduring value of demonstrating that evil is forever defeated. I hate evil. And I can't wait until it is finally defeated. 
That's what I want. Many people even wonder, how could they fully enjoy heaven knowing that their loved ones are not there? Have you ever thought about that? How am I going to enjoy heaven if Pastor Bob's not going to be there? <laughs> people wonder about these things, and it's a legitimate question to ask. Let me give you one quote by C.S. Lewis, and we'll wrap up. Listen to what he said. The demand of the loveless and self-imprisoned, that they should be allowed to blackmail the universe, that till they consent to be happy on their own terms, no one else shall taste joy. That there should be the final power that hell should be able to veto heaven is invalid. Amen? You understand? It's powerful. Again, you got to read some stuff by Norm Geisler if you want to hear the quote again. Listen. The demand of the loveless and the self-imprisoned, that they should be allowed to blackmail the universe, that till they consent to be happy in their own turns, no one else shall taste joy. That there should be the final power that hell should be able to veto heaven is invalid. You're going to enjoy heaven because you're going to glory in the justice of God. You will. See, the reality is hell is a real place and Jesus believed it to real, be real. And it's an eternal place and it is a suffering place. And it is a place that nobody should want to go. Nobody should. And what do we do with this? We've learned this morning. Are we to go out there and go beat people over the head? You're all going to hell. <laughs> I did it. When I first got saved, I wrote my whole family. Every family member I could think of, I all wrote them a letter. It was a little rough, you know. I was zealous. I was young in the faith, you know. Uh, but they heard the truth. And I still try to mess with them, obviously. But we don't need to go beat people over the head. But we don't need to shy away from it either. That's all. Share with the people. Talk to people. And tell them the truth in love, kindly. You know, so it has its context. We also need to remember, folks, that Jesus said hell was prepared for the devil and his demons, so God never desired that people should go there. He never did. It says that for the kingdom was prepared from the foundation of the world for those that did what's right. See, but the reality is, as wicked and as evil as hell is, no one needs to go. No one needs to go. God sent his son to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Nobody has to go to hell. Nobody. It could just be the devil and his demons hanging out. Nobody needs to go there. Your sins can be forgiven. The Bible says that whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter what kind of sin we've done, if we've done it over and over and over again. It can be forgiven. The cross takes away any sin that anyone can take. Anybody. See, there's going to be murderers in heaven. I hope you realize that. There's going to be some people that you would not want to hang out here in San Island, <laughs> but they're going to be in heaven because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Jesus wants us in heaven, folks. That's where he wants you and I. That's where he wants the world. That's why he died on the cross. He wants every one of our family members, our friends, everyone we know to be in heaven with him. He came to restore the relationship with him, to give us a new life, a new heart, a new mind, a new future, a new destiny. Every, he gave it to be new. And so because of him, I know I'm going to heaven. I know Dina Turchi is in heaven because of what Jesus did. Not because of what she did, but because of what Jesus did. And my life has changed. Not only am I going to heaven, folks, the Bible says that God gives us back the years of locusts have eaten away. He takes the ashes of our life 
And he makes beauty out of them. Understand? That's what he does. He saves us and then he redeems us, gives us a new life in Christ. It's all new. It's all new. From 28 years old, my life is new. It's better. It's not easier. Farce. It's not easier. Anybody could go drink and do whatever. Anybody could do that. But now there's purpose to my life. There's meaning to my life now. I'm here for a reason. To help people, minister to people, to love people, to be loved. Because God's given me a new heart. Like I shared last week. Amen? So please understand. Anyone here this morning? You don't need to go there. Nobody needs to go there. That's the news we need to tell people. Hell is real. But you don't have to go. Just receive Jesus and all your sins will be washed away. Your sins are like scarlet. And they'll be white as snow. Amen?